Chelsea Fairless. And I felt like we needed to reintroduce ourselves because I imagine a great portion of people who are listening this week stopped as soon as the last episode of And Just Like That happened <laughs> and haven't checked in in a year. And to those people, welcome back. And for those of you who have stayed with us through thick and thin, you are in luck. We will not be discussing the idol this week. Or the Kardashians. <laughs> it's amazing. Before we get into the first two episodes of And Just Like That in scarily granular detail, I feel like we have a call to play. Hi, Chelsea and Lauren. This is Joe from Virginia, and I was just wondering, what was your reaction to Vogue using your Instagram? And then Sarah Jessica Parker telling to you, screw you. What was your reaction to that? Well, we are currently in the process of sending a cease and desist to Vogue magazine. <laughs> no, we, we were aware this was happening. We were asked to participate in this video. Yes, we wrote the caption for the photo of Sarah Jessica Parker tripping that appeared within the world of this video. Although we were not told that Sarah Jessica Parker in this video would be commenting, screw you, and frankly could not be more honored. It's so thrilling to be told off by the woman that we love the most. And screw you is perfect because, as we know, Sarah Jessica Parker is notoriously anti-cursing. You know, we've never run into Sarah Jessica Parker, but I feel like, one, we don't have to anymore, but two, if we ever did, that might be her response to us. No, I kid. She's too kind for that. But I thought that the video was really cute and not just because we were involved. Like, we would have liked this video even if we weren't asked to participate. Yeah. It was very um, Fellini-esque. Yes. So Fellini-esque. He is not credited, but when we took the call to participate in this video, we were told that Michael Patrick King wrote this. Which is so incredible. It almost feels like... Daddy MPK wanted to make like a fragrance commercial or something. This is what he plans to do after and just like that ends, he's going to get into ad copy. I could see that. It also it also makes me wonder if Daddy MPK has ever watched the show You because famously Joe Goldberg's line is, hello, you. Which is what Sarah Jessica Parker says again and again in this video. I feel like we should also note that it was directed by Bardia Zanali, who is pretty fab. You may know him from the Justin Bieber Yummy video and like much of Vogue's Met Gala video content. Like I think he did the camp show stuff for them. Oh, he's in a bunch of years. His first Monday in May is always booked. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> I think the most fun part of this for me was seeing Sarah Jessica Parker in some of these clothes. Like there's a part where she wore a Donna Karen dress that she wore to the Golden Globes with the iconic fluffy come de garçon coat that she wore in the um, Staten Island episode. Yeah, the first episode of season three. I do wonder how many times and how annoyed Sarah Jessica Parker's archivist that maintain the Sex in the City collection, how annoyed they are of like another person. Molly and Danny just left. <laughs> 
and now this Vogue assistant, what do we even have that isn't being currently used on set right now? <laughs> also, Claire Sullivan, who was previously part of the design collective Vicara, made this incredible custom piece that was a nod to the Galliano newsprint dress, except it used all of SJP's old Vogue covers. I think my favorite part of the video is the nod to Miranda and the sandwich. <laughs> yes. That Miranda-coded person in what I believe is Scaparelli. Having some sort of disagreement in the park, which I like this bit of fan fiction that if Miranda had gotten with the sandwich, it wouldn't have gone well. I also liked the presence of New York it girl Nikki Takesh in the Heidi outfit that Carrie wore and the presence of another iconic New Yorker, the Casa Magazines guy. Which, did you notice, in the thanks for the video, we're below Casa Magazine. <laughs> it felt pretty perfect. I love that for us. But you're certainly not here <laughs> to hear us talk about our appearance <laughs> in this Vogue video. Chell, I don't know if you know this, but not one, but two, and just like that, episodes premiered last night. We were prepared for one. We were not prepared for two. I did ruin Chelsea's night last night. At about 6 p.m., I was like, hey, do you think they're going to drop two episodes again? And then I went to Rotten Tomatoes and they said it was two episodes and we were like, fuck. I was like, so I'm not sleeping tonight, <laughs> basically. I'm on four hours, guys. Bear with me. It's such a surreal experience. And I don't know if you felt this way, but the first season... It was such a whirlwind, especially that first episode. And on top of that, we were watching it at midnight that a lot of it felt very dreamlike. And I had that experience again watching the second season. I honestly don't know what I saw or if it was even real. So we'll do episode one first. Uh, did you notice the title was Met Cute? Okay, I don't get it. <laughs> Am I an idiot? Like a meet cute. What's that? Oh, a meet cute is like you're working at a company and then there's a cute plucky intern who becomes your love interest. That's a meet cute. Are you just talking about Tat and I's origin story or what? I am, yes. No, a meet cute is just a- I still don't know what it is, Lauren. You have to do a better job. Uh, Wikipedia says, in film, television, and literature, a meet cute is a scene in which- the two people who will form a future romantic couple meet for the first time, typically under unusual, humorous, or cute circumstances. I think I explained it well with my using you meeting Tatiana. Okay, but does anyone meet anyone in this episode? No. Like, we as the audience meet Seema's toxic gay hairdresser, <laughs> but other than that... No. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> what was your feeling in general about this first episode? I, for one, am thrilled that this show is back. And just like that is very soothing to me. It's like the television equivalent of Clonopin. And seeing Kristen and Cynthia and Sarah Jessica back in these roles is not something that I take for granted. But you know how Angelina Jolie has that tattoo that says what nourishes me destroys me? <laughs> Like that kind of sums up my feelings about this show because there are some creative choices that continue to baffle me. But at the end of the day, I hope the show will be on the air forever like Law & Order SVU. As long as they want to make it, I will watch it. Well, we have no choice. <laughs> what did you think? Uh, I'm glad it exists, I guess. But it's just... It's <laughs> okay, that's really... <laughs> rude i thought that after 10 episodes of the first season i i've said this many times that i would be prepared for this new tone and i'm just still not prepared for it i get that 
It's certainly more fun. There's more sex. Yes. I appreciate the fact that they're leaning into the frivolous, escapist, rich people shit. Because I feel like that was my number one note from season one. Yes. It's too depressing. I don't want to talk about checking daddy's PP for cancer, you know. <laughs> Here in the first episode, we get the Met Gala. We get sex. We get dating. We get a lot more sex, actually. Sorry, we get the Met Ball? Oh, right. <laughs> right. We cannot infringe on their IP. Evidently. I mean, Sarah Jessica couldn't make a call? I'm sure she could make a call, but I'm thinking that after Ocean's 8, Condé Nast was just like, fuck this shit. Fair enough. I will say that, you know, while there is more fun and there is more sex, there is equal, if not more, Che. Right. There's more Che, and there's even more characters. The side characters get their own characters. I don't understand this. Yes, because even though And Just Like That is 15 minutes longer than Sex in the City, that's still not enough time to accommodate four other series regulars that all have love interests and families, not to mention Bobby Lee and Smoke. <laughs> And hairdresser. And now the hairdresser. And then their boyfriends have ex-wives and sons. Also, I feel like the kids are really coming up. Like, the kids might have full-blown plot lines. Ugh. All right. The show begins. It's very clear that Daddy MPK wanted us to know from the jump that these characters fuck. Yes. And we get a montage sequence with one of the most shocking needle drops I've ever experienced. I know. I know. I was truly shocked. That was the first thing that stunned me. Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer. Which is not a song that I associate with heterosexual sex. Actually, I'm not even making this up. Right before I sat down to record, I got a drunken video from Tat, who is in Mykonos, at a gay <laughs> beach club. And that song was playing. And that is the correct context for Hold Me Closer. The only way that I thought that this maybe connects to and just like that is is it a very subtle reference to a joke from friends when <laughs> Phoebe is asked what her favorite love song is and she says it's the song Elton John wrote for Tony Danza hold me closer <laughs> Tony Danza oh my god you're so right I don't think that was deliberate I think that is a coincidence but good catch all right we've got Carrie we've got LTW we've got Charlotte Seema and Miranda all romancing their partners in the first three minutes. We have Carrie's podcast producer boyfriend in the tiniest bed I have ever seen. Guys, we really do need a production designer to come on this show <laughs> and explain to us why all TV and movies use full-size beds. Seriously. It's like you would think he was one of the orphans from Annie or something <laughs> in this bed. You know, and it was good to see Carrie is just still having missionary bra sex. Yeah, I actually really liked her look because she was wearing this oversized New York Times sweatshirt off the shoulder flash dance style it reminded me of the flashback sequence from sex in the city 2 where right. she wore a similar outfit also good on Kristen for showing her breasts yeah hot damn also glad that her and harry are still having sex and we didn't even have to see evan handler's prosthetic dong this time i feel like that was also a note that got to daddy mpk where he was like i got it no no dongs 
There was something kind of nighttime soap opera about the way the bulk of these sex scenes were shot, except for Miranda and Shay, which felt very realistic in contrast. Really, it's the norm to get your titties sucked in a hot tub, Chell? Look, I don't advocate for sex in water, generally speaking, but that's just me, but to each their own. I'm glad that Miranda is getting railed in some hot tub in LA. Like, good for her. Slay. Yeah, neither of us have hot tubs. We're jealous. (laughs) So everyone is fucking except Naya, who's taking on a very Miranda circa season six role of just watching TV instead of having sex. The only thing that would have made this better is if she queued up like Jules and Mimi. Well, I think they're showing the equivalent of Jules and Mimi now, which is some sort of Bridger ripoff. It seems to be the show within the show that Naya is watching. Then we get a post-coital scene with Carrie and should we figure out the name of this guy? A Franklin. Okay, Franklin. This man does not look like a Franklin. She's talking to Franklin about her desire to make like a poached egg and put it on toast points. And I realized like, fuck, I too have had this dream for like over a decade now. The time is now. Like Carrie, I know that you have learned to cook much more complicated meals than poaching an egg. No, but I'm so Carrie, Lauren, because all I cook is a little bit of salmon from time to time. (laughs) Like actually, in a couple of Allison Roman recipes that are near and dear to my heart. This is where I started to get a little concerned because I was like, is this the writing Or is it supposed to be purposefully awkward between Franklin and Carrie? I have no idea. I cannot answer that question. Cut to the next day. Carrie is making her three-minute egg with, okay, what is this tiny laptop that has some sort of digital timer on it? All I know is that you'll be using it by the end of this week. So Seema calls her. Seema is Carrie's plus one for the Met ball the off-brand Met Gala the Met Ball is it true what Carrie says that non-celebrities have a separate door if so who are those normies I see walking up the steps behind the celebrities it's not true that's why this is an especially infuriating plot point because I feel like a good thing about sex in the city is that it always kind of existed within the real world yeah but things like this really take it out of reality because yes that is not the case And even we, having seen the paparazzi photos before and in the trailer, had just assumed this was going to be some either LTW throne gala or some school event that everyone was at. It did not need to be the Met Ball. (laughs) Okay, but I like the idea of it because it's fun, although I can't get past the fact that So many people from the cast are going. We'll also get into the revolving chairs of who's who's what plus one when. Right. Charlotte arrives with Richard Burton, which she is carrying Richard Burton because she explains that bulldogs have weak hind legs. And Chelsea, as a fellow English bulldog owner, is that true? Oh, absolutely. Bulldogs are very front loaded. Like, basically just drag their hind legs behind them. And I don't have to carry my dog up the stairs, but I think maybe senior dogs, that might be, like, a wise thing to do. Because I was going to say, I've never seen him have an issue coming upstairs. Not my baby. Not yet. (laughs) So Charlotte is picking up Carrie for a lovely walk? She does run into Franklin. And she's, like, shocked that Carrie is getting some D. To be fair, this episode picks up three weeks after the finale happened. So it's not like she's been with this guy for months and months. 
did you notice Carrie is wearing the Victorian hat that Daddy MPK would not allow SJP or Molly Rogers to wear in that final episode? Yeah, I really, really love that they did that. It's an Easter egg for the hardcore fans like us. But I feel like this whole look is pretty insane for Manhattan. Like it's some like (laughs) twisted, like urban, like picnic at hanging rock shit. Well, I've always said that the natural conclusion of Carrie Bradshaw's style would just be Helena Bonham Carter paparazzi photos in London. And I feel like we are getting, we're going towards that. Oh yeah, especially with the final look of this episode, absolutely. But Carrie stops Charlotte before she can fully go Charlotte and explains to her, this is just sex. So therefore, Charlotte goes through all the other characters. I was shocked when she was like, how big is his dick? I'll be Samantha. I was like, oh. That was incredible. I actually really, really liked that part of this scene. Kristen, again, is a very underrated comedic actress. And I love the way that she embodied the other girls on the show. It did remind me that they're not there, but I liked it. (laughs) And then she cycles through Miranda and says, if you sleep with someone at work, you're going to give away all of your power. Genius. I did want this to continue on and on. Like, what would Anthony say? What would Stanford say? Yeah, keep going, Char. What would Susan Sharon say? (laughs) Then we cut to... LTW, who is the most efficient chic mother to put all other real moms to shame. Truly. I love that her editing bay is in her closet. Yeah, like as if you don't have an office. Come on. Look, even for the uber wealthy, you can't get that extra office. LTW's plot line is here to remind us that it's hard to balance work and motherhood and being a wife and stuff. I guess, but in a way that is not at all relatable. Like, I don't know who's like, you know what? (laughs) I've also been up since four in five inch heels in a full face of makeup (laughs) and like trying to blow my husband before he goes to work. So true. But the kids coming in in this scene made me fearful that one of them will get a plot line. (laughs) You know? If not all three. (laughs) And they'll all have their own side characters. This scene is also to remind us that just because she's got a rich finance bro, she doesn't need his money. No, she doesn't. And I just want to say I do really like Nicole Ari Parker in this role. I feel like this is a highlight of And Just Like That. Again, there are shows within this show when certain characters are paired together where it's like, oh, I would watch 30 minutes of just this set of characters. Does Sex in the City need to have... Spinoffs? Yes. Yeah, right? Why not? When Anthony, LTW, and Charlotte are together, I'm like, I would sit here for a half an hour. <laughs> More of this. I'll even take the kid plot lines if we get it down to three characters. <laughs> And then we have Miranda FaceTiming Naya from a sensory deprivation tank, which is something I've always wanted to do. It does feel very L.A. Let's do it. I would do that. But yeah, Miranda had a wildly different experience from Misty and Yellow Jackets. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, this might be our experience at a sensory deprivation tank. She has taken this appointment because it does feel very un-Miranda-like because Che originally had it but had to go to a costume fitting. Right. This is where I feel like the nostalgia is warranted and fun because to me, Miranda freaking the fuck out in the the sensory deprivation tank and and her naked body crawling out of that (laughs) egg-like apparatus to me felt like it was referencing and topping or out-humiliating Miranda throwing her neck out and being found by Aiden. 
Totally. It also kind of reminded me of Samantha Morton in Minority Report when she finally had to like climb out of the pool. This is your favorite thing. <laughs> Didn't we talk about doing a Minority Report screening and we were going to get like a baby pool and we were yeah. all going to lay? <laughs> I'm going to lay in a in a pool hooked up to wires and shit. It also reminded me there's a It's Always Funny in Philadelphia episode, which don't ask for the context, but Danny DeVito has been hiding in a couch naked covered in oil. <laughs> And he comes crawling out of it. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but I imagine it's giving that. She is just so good at physical comedy. So much of her body is shown that I was like, oh my God, wait. I thought it was going to go so far that she was just going to open her legs up wide. <laughs> Talk about a committed actor. I love that for her. Oh, there's no one more committed than Cynthia, who at the end, Miranda says, Fuck the new me. Which is like so perfect because I got that flash like back to like the old Miranda, Miranda's true essence. And she definitely has more of those moments in these two episodes that I think maybe we got in the last few of season one. Yeah. And I thought when Miranda said, you know, Che's at a costume fitting, I was like, all right, well, as the audience, we know where Che is. I didn't expect that we were going to follow Che to the costume fitting. I know it's now it's solo scenes with Che. And guess what? Che's got not one, not two, three supporting (laughs) characters in their plot line. Okay. But one of them is the writer of Che Pasa. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Um, which is played by Abby McAney, who is also non-binary. And they created and starred in a very, very good show called Work in Progress that I would highly recommend. But on And Just Like That, they are simply Che's oppressor. As BD, they have gone through like the Michael Patrick King cringe meter <laughs> The hair streak is really... They're great on work in progress. <laughs> and now they're just a Michael Patrick King coded non-binary character. <laughs> and it's not great. And these are the moments where it's like, are they in on the joke or they're not? I cannot tell. Well, you know what really haunted me? That part where Che is wearing the blazer that they don't like and looks in the mirror and is like, I'm a non-binary comedian, (laughs) like in that voice. This is a minor note, but shouldn't Che have written on their own pilot? (laughs) That's what I was going to ask you. (laughs) Yeah, even if they don't have experience, you imagine that their special went viral in a Hannah Gatsby-esque way. And instead of going to Max, I don't know why we can't have a Max within a Max meta show. They have gone to a network and have written, I imagine, a multicam comedy that they have no part of, which wouldn't happen. They would, even if you didn't have experience writing, you'd probably, Che would be writing it with BD. If nothing else, just to get that check. How else are they paying for this insane house with the with the hot tub and stuff? Yeah, ABC's not picking up that check. Now we have a scene with Carrie and Bobby Lee. I'm sorry, we're calling him Bobby Lee. I don't know what this character's name is. Wait, isn't it Bobby Lee? Oh, that's the actor's name. Yes. The, I think the character's name is Bobby. As it should be. Who cares? <laughs> I don't believe they hang out. I don't need this scene. By the way, if we didn't have this scene and Smoke had just showed up with a dress I'd be like I got it <laughs> no it's so true but yeah this is where they establish that smoke is designing Carrie's met gala look met ball look sorry 
And uh, then Bobby asked Carrie if he can score two more tickets for him and Smoke. This is the one correct piece of reality about this, quote, Met Ball, which is, I can't just get you extra tickets. Also, I want to note that the Met Gala guest list, everyone is approved by Anna Wintour. So there could be none of these switcheroos around plus ones because you can't just bring any plus one. Absolutely not. And also, it should be established that LTW has bought a table, which means LTW and husband? I don't know his name. I'm not going to learn it. I forget. What does he do for a living? Vague finance, bro. Do you know what I do know? He went to Morehouse. (laughs) I know that too. (laughs) If they say it once, they say it a thousand times on this show. See, the thing is, you kind of can't buy your way into the Met Gala if you are just a generic finance bro. It's one thing if you started Snapchat or something. You can buy a table. Like if you have a company that's sort of on the cutting edge of technology or fashion, sure. But if you're just some random like Goldman Sachs dude. No, no, Chelsea. But this is the Met Ball. At the Met Ball, you could just buy a table. Again, if you were going to choose to make this the plot line, which while we appreciate it, I don't need, especially if you're not going to do the full Monty. Because in these first two episodes, there are two plot lines that they go through for the entirety of the episode and then just sort of drop. Yeah. All right, now we have LTW and Charlotte's fitting at a hotel room. Are these supposed to be the Valentino people? Is it a hotel room? I just assumed that it was like upstairs at the Valentino store or something. You know what? There wasn't a side character to explain this to us. Okay, I know that I said that we wouldn't talk about episode three of The Idol, but (laughs) can we talk about Valentino? Are they paying for these placements? Certainly not after what they saw happen in the Idol episode. I don't think so. I know. Like every other luxury brand is like, no, you can't film in this store. Valentino's like, yeah, sure. Let's have the Idol like jerk off in one of the fitting rooms. Michael Patrick King said that it's the big Peloton effect that every brand they've subsequently gone to, they're like, "Uh, what kind of scene are we using (laughs) this for? And I imagine Valentino's going to have the same thing, but for jizz, where it's like, What's going to happen in this scene? Are any fluids going to be on our fall winter collection? Valentino in And Just Like That makes sense for them and was cute. I feel for them about the idol, but I also love the part where Anthony was like, I need a selfie with Pierre Paolo. Where is he? It's like, he's in Milan. (laughs) He's not living like above the Valentino store on Madison Avenue, like the fucking Phantom of the Opera. He's not going to be there for a normie fitting, no matter how much money they drop. I don't care how good of a client LTW is. Also, they would be invited to the couture show. They would not be dressed for the Met Gala by Valentino. Well, are they paying for it, though? Because, yeah, they could be. I thought that they were rich, but I didn't realize that they were Valentino Couture rich, but they might be Valentino Couture rich. That's what I took from this scene. You know, we need a celeb net worth (laughs) article about this. So I like when LTW, Charlotte, and Anthony are together. This is a good triangle of characters. Anthony has a sort of Bethany Frankel role of being annoyed by these rich people. At one point he says, I'm really enjoying listening to your podcast, Rich People Problems. Yeah, cute. I think that landed. So Chelsea, what do you think of the Met Ball theme, Veiled Beauty? I was like, yeah, they they did a good job of thinking of a fake theme. Also, why is Charlotte annoyed that... 
Anthony isn't dressing on theme and simply wearing a tux. Most men at the Met, no matter the theme, wear a tux. It annoys us to no end. We've spoken about it. Meanwhile, Carrie is podcasting. She's giving a caller relationship advice about like a fuck buddy situation. She's in a plaid outfit. And that's one thing I've noticed about the costuming in And Just Like That versus Sex in the City. And just like that is all about clashing plaid. Well, what else are you supposed to wear in spring but plaid, Chelsea? To be fair, springtime in New York is not what you think. If you're someone that hasn't spent time in New York, it is not like about cherry blossoms and like wearing a light trench coat. Like it's still winter as far as we're concerned, like temperature wise. Yeah. Can we discuss Carrie's podcast, Sex in the City, because it seems to be an incredibly stilted production where there's no transitional flow. She just answers questions because she's like, okay, play the next one. Well, we know she has a good sign off. It's not even about the podcast. You know, Chelsea, I would love if we dug deep into Carrie's podcast. This scene is only to establish that Franklin asked her to his friend's bourbon christening, which... I just want to say, as a straight person, I can't decode for you what that means either. I was going to ask. She says yes, but is obviously, like, not into it. For the first time in her life, Carrie is into casual sex. I guess this Carrie can answer season one, episode one Carrie of can women have sex like men? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. She just needed to age into it. It just takes the love of your life dying. <laughs> Absolutely. So then we have Lillian Rock who tells Charlotte that Harry, wouldn't you know it, God darn it, uh, Harry thinks he's going to the Met Ball. He's bought a top hat and everything. This is where a very sinking feeling started to happen for me, Chelsea, which is I really hope that this season of In Just Like That with all these kids is not going to become an R-rated version of Modern Family. Okay, Modern Family is such a good reference point because I feel like that explains a lot of what this show is. It is cut from that cloth. All we need is those confessionals. I was so embarrassed when Harry thought he was going to the Meg Ball. (laughs) We don't want this. We don't need this. It feels like... It's a mandate from the studio that they would only greenlight season two if it became more family-oriented, but we know that that's not true. No, I'm with you. And then we go back to the West Coast (laughs) where Miranda is trying on a strap-on. If you had told me that I would live to see the day (laughs) that Miranda wears a strap-on dildo, I wouldn't have believed you. But I'm happy that we're here. Although this particular harness will haunt my nightmares because it's like a normal strap on, but it also has like a chest harness component. And if someone walked into my bedroom with that on, I would be forced to flee. Did you notice that they purchased it at the Hustler Hollywood store? (laughs) Okay, I did, which is like, I understand why they picked this particular harness because it's so complicated and this is ultimately a comedic scene, but that harness could only come from a Portland-based Etsy store. (laughs) As someone that's been to the Hustler store, as someone that used to live across the street from the Hustler store. I'm here to tell you that you cannot procure such things there. Pleasure chest, I'll believe. Pleasure chest is where Chadia's would shop. Chadia's would have like a punch card for dildos at the pleasure chest. Also, 
Che Diaz, I think, would be that person that buys those dildos at the pleasure chest that are rainbow colored. Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course. Okay. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Also, the pleasure chest, for those that don't live in Los Angeles, does a monthly comedy night. If Che Diaz was going to perform comedy anywhere, it's not the fucking comedy store. It's not the store that was started by Polly Shore's mother. They would be performing <laughs> at the comedy night at the Pleasure Chest. This quote that Miranda says has been going around my head again and again. This is a lot of work that I don't even know if I philosophically or spiritually am into. I loved that. I thought that was very funny. But how can you be philosophically against a strap-on? I think it's more like wearing it yourself. And not being fucked by. Which is frankly what I would expect from this couple. But clearly they are a very, very verse couple. Like when Che is like, you scream, give me a dick. I'm like, does she? I feel like you scream, give me a dick. You know who we need? We need our friend who sight unseen can tell you if you're a top or a bottom. (laughs) Oh yeah, Henry, where is he? I'm a 7.5 on the top scale. Oh, really? That's what he said. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I was a four. And I was like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Another thing, which is especially confusing when you know that only three weeks have passed from the first season to the second season, is Carrie and Che are bros? Carrie calls Che out of the blue. I guess to get information about Franklin, but really advice about how to deal with straight men. Right. Which seems odd. I would perhaps call Anthony. It seems like Carrie is increasingly embarrassed by and horrified with Miranda. As she should be, honestly. But as a sexual anthropologist, the fact that she is not interested in the fact that her formerly straight friend Miranda is now strapping it on is just crazy. For no other reason than... That is a The Cut article to end all The Cut articles. No, that article was the profile of Sada Ramirez that came out this week that we will be talking about later. Miranda gets insecure because Che's advice is about keeping things casual. So Miranda assumes that Che is talking about their dynamic for reasons unknown. Right. Because they say some relationships are all about sex. And then Miranda, like a wounded child, just starts taking (laughs) off this strap on. And uh, I actually thought this was quite funny. Do you know what's not funny? Che Diaz's comedy at the comedy (laughs) store? Their closing line is... (laughs) The fact that that was the closing line is what I cannot get over. It's like you had to write one line that was funny. A single joke. And also, we should tell the audience, for those who haven't watched this and refused, Che's closing line is, you know, no one walks in LA. Everybody drives. You know, the other day I Ubered from my bedroom to my bathroom and it was expensive. Anyway, that's my time. Bye. Daddy MPK was a stand-up. Yeah. And you know what? A friend of ours shout out to Wendy and Amy, did see Daddy MPK do stand-up and said he was great. I would give anything to go back in time and watch him do stand-up at the duplex. Goddamn. And then Che doesn't want Miranda to touch them or give them a hug, which made sense to me because I wouldn't want anyone to touch me after that cringe closer. So I was like, I get it. But the fact that they're like... I'm working. It's like, babe, you're part of a showcase at the comedy store. Like, it's not that deep. 
It's not. It's like hosting a weekly podcast where you talk about the episodes of In Just Like That. It's not that deep. It's not Carnegie Hall, let's just say. And you'll never get to Carnegie Hall with an attitude like that, Chelsea. (laughs) Imagine how terrifying our voices would sound with the flawless acoustics at Carnegie Hall. Yeah, imagine those Apple podcast reviews. Their voices are so nasally. (laughs) Taking one star off for vocal fry. So now we have Seema and her hot Italian guy from last season, Zed. He doesn't have a name. He's the guy from Emily in Paris. Oh, yeah. Zed from Emily in Paris. <laughs> so we get a brunch scene because it, it doesn't even really warrant to go into what's going on with Seema other than her hot boyfriend, or not boyfriend, her hot fuck buddy invites her to lunch. With his son. With his son. Now, these timing woes... I did appreciate, which is the Met Ball and this lunch are not at the same time. However, if she were to go to this lunch, she wouldn't have enough time to glam and get to the Met Ball. So really, Chell, it's the man or the Met. Okay, but the stakes for this feel so low. Well, for one thing, the Met Gala is an excuse to get out of anything except the birth of your child. Like, this could be solved by, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to the Met Gala. I mean, the Met Ball, whatever. And really, they're not there a day before. You can't do a nice coffee. Yeah. Anyway, this is where we get the, not the best joke that was in the trailer about the the purse stool and, oh, great, my purse was exhausted. <laughs> I mean, it's fine within the context of this show. I, I, I love how I'm defending this joke. Sure, I'm into it. I do like... When Anthony or Seema's in any scene and when they are together, it really fills the void of not having Samantha. Totally. Anthony tells a tragic story about blowing a nurse practitioner. Did Fiddle Faddle sponsor in Just Like That (laughs) season two? I don't know. But this is all for Anthony to explain that men don't care. You just gotta tell them the news, rip the band-aid off, and they'll just take it like a man. Which then prompts Charlotte to break the news to Anthony that he won't be going to the Met Ball. Which again, you cannot switch your plus ones willy-nilly like this. Anna will not stand for it. So meanwhile, in Nia Wallace land, I guess we haven't really talked about the fact that her boyfriend is on tour. Her husband? Are they married? Yes, her partner, Andre. Andre is on tour. They're very disconnected. Nia gets hit on by a hot guy, but turns him away because she's in a relationship. That's true, but I did take from the end of season one of like, okay, they're no longer together. We're done with this. It wasn't- Yes, it's so true. I thought they had broken up too. I was like, wait, they're still together? And it's not until this scene where she dresses all sexy and FaceTimes him that I'm like, oh, I guess they're still technically together? Yeah, I thought we wrapped that after the episode where they like painted the women's shelter. Doesn't matter. I'm not going back to rewatch it. (laughs) I find the handling of this FaceTime incredibly clumsy because she's about to get all sexy he stops her and he's like I'm with someone and then shows off the singer I mean Naya does demand to see who the person is I think her response to this girl being in his room is like pretty unhinged personally like I'm on her partner's side her husband whoever the fuck this guy is on his side what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Naya's response is pretty unhinged. It does make you think that she's still pumped full of hormones from their IVF round. Justice for Heidi. Like, 
<laughs> she may have bad style, but we have no reason to think that she's a terrible person. Do you, is that the woman's name? You clock that? Yeah, that's because Naya said her name like 50 times during her breakdown. Well, I guess it's Monday. Although this is a Bobo Met Gala. So is the Met Ball like the first Tuesday? (laughs) (laughs) The first Tuesday in April actually is when the Met Ball happens. Bobby and Smoke come over. Um, Smoke is clearly anxious. Carrie opens the door in a kimono, which again... I thought was a nod to Carrie's kimono from season one and two that she throws out in the third season to the AA guy. Right. Well, she did wear multiple kimonos. Kimonos are a documented part of her wardrobe, her loungewear wardrobe. This is true, but I guess when she explains that this was a kimono that Stanford sent from Japan. Just reminding us, I guess, that Stanford is alive within the world of the show and has the potential to come back. It fully reminded me that Willie Garson died, which made me really sad. I know they're trying to honor the character, but it is a tad, doesn't feel great. It's not even insensitive. It just reminds us that this very key player in the show has died for real forever and is never coming back on the show or otherwise. This is an aside, and I know we have a lot to get to, but they did a similar thing with Paul Walker in the Fast and Furious movies where they just sort of retired him with fatherhood, but he is married to the Jordana Brewster character in these films who's Vin Diesel's sister. Some Lukes understand what I'm talking about, but Chell, (laughs) for three movies now, when like really bad shit happens, Jordana Brewster shows up and then she's just sort of like, Paul Walker's watching the kids. (laughs) That's so fucked up. Yes! (laughs) That's so fucked up. So Smoke is stressed because... Her seamstress got the stomach flu. The seamstress that filled in for the other seamstress also got a stomach flu. And the dress kind of isn't finished. Wouldn't Carrie have had multiple fittings before this? I mean, we know from Tad that things are going on until the last second. But if you are a normie going to the Met Ball, shouldn't your dress be done? I don't know. I can accept this. I can't accept the thing about normal people not being able to go up the steps, but I can accept this reality in and just like that. But my thing is, even if this dress did fit her, what part of this says veiled beauty? (laughs) Like, where's the veil? (laughs) Was the veil just the netted veil that she ended up wearing? Because I don't understand how you could conceivably wear this dress with a veil. Well, this is also the ugliest dress I have ever seen and this goes up there with andy's dress from pretty in pink that's her prom dress do you remember this she gets a of course the cold shoulder babe it's like burned in my brain but she gets this beautiful 1950s tool gown and she fucking ruins it and makes it that dress that was basically the plot of the netflix show girl boss (laughs) yeah short-lived show girl boss And then we go back to the West Coast where Miranda and Che are lounging. Miranda tries to start something with Che. Che pushes Miranda off of them, to which Miranda's like, okay, what the fuck? Yeah, what's going on? You're not letting me touch you. And Che explains that they are on a diet and has a very emotional monologue about how they didn't think they were this person, but they are being told by the studio that they need to lose weight. And they don't want Miranda to touch 
their stomach. How is this so campy? Did you think it was campy? It's not even because of the writing. That's the crazy thing. It's the acting. I don't want to seem like a cunt, but when Che admits why they won't let Miranda touch them, the acting, I won't say it's bad, it's good, but is delivered in a way that I thought Che was lying. Well, they could be lying. Like, I thought it was a ruse because Che is cheating or something. But if there isn't some sort of cheating plot line happening, then this is crazy. This is bizarre. Yeah, it's almost like it's not human, which is so weird in contrast to Cynthia Nixon, who always comes across as a person and never as a caricature, no matter what, no matter if she has to say Abu Dhabi do or whatever. Oh, Cynthia's fine in this scene. Cynthia's great, always. There's a blankness in Sada's performance in this scene that makes, at least as the audience, and you, it seems like you felt the same way, they were signaling that that wasn't the real cause. Well, that remains to be seen. I always think it's funny, and I'm sure there's an Instagram or a Twitter dedicated to this, but badly Photoshopped photos in TV and film, because Miranda is scrolling through her phone looking at terribly Photoshopped photos of Brady and his girlfriend gallivanting in Europe. Whatever, I'm into it. So while Smoke continues to have a meltdown, Carrie calls Franklin to say that she's only ready for Thursdays. And we get maybe the most Sex in the City-esque dialogue, which Franklin says to her, oh, you're not ready to book a reservation at Relationship Place. And Carrie goes, no, but I love the takeout. Which is a perfectly Carrie line where it's like, I don't think that exactly works, but I get what you're saying and it's cute. I think this really shows a lot of maturity on Carrie's part because calling someone on the phone to say this is a revelation. Most people would just text. Well, I think they're of a certain age where they still believe in calling. I think Carrie even thinks it's improper that she's calling and not saying this in person. She probably does. All right, I want to get your take on this. Seema goes to the lunch and abruptly leaves when she's having a conversation with the ex-wife and finds out that they still live together. He's on a separate floor. Are they sleeping in the same bed? No. Seema storms out only for Zed to explain that she lives on the top two floors, he lives on the bottom two floors. Seema, of all people, knows how treacherous New York real estate is. Maybe it's not the right time for them to unload this brownstone. Also, shouldn't she be impressed that they own a multi-floor building, whether it is a brownstone or a warehouse or what? Yeah, and if they ever want to sell it, she can get that commission. We've also glossed over the fact, because it's just too confusing, that Anthony was out as Charlotte's plus one, so and Seema dropped out of being Carrie's plus one, so Anthony became Carrie's plus one. But now Anthony is out as Carrie's date. Again, you can't do that. Maybe at the Met Ball that happens on the first Tuesday of April, you can do this. That has a separate entrance for the normal people. (sighs) So back uptown, LTW is stressed because she lost her edit and her husband wants to go down on her and... She forgets to confirm the sprinter van, like what, like two minutes before she was going downstairs? Or was that supposed to be like earlier in the day? Again, the stakes feel really low here, and I kind of don't understand what happened. Someone at LTW's level would not only have 
an assistant or if they didn't have an assistant, they would have a, a poor, lowly, unpaid intern doing all of this for them. That said, I do think that this Valentino was really perfect costuming for this character. And like the visuals of her walking through oh. the streets of New York, it made me long for like an era of fashion photography that no longer exists, which I suppose was the 1960s, where you would get a photograph like that. But I thought that was really, really beautiful. Yeah, I thought that that was really great. Because they can't get a van and because she can't sit in a taxi, again, maybe this is just like elder Gen X, young boomer energy, but like uber black exists like you could i mean you can order a helicopter in new york via uber no but she has to be standing up right you can't get like a sprinter van from uber i don't know i'm just saying 10 blocks isn't that long i don't know what her shoe situation was like but like that's basically how far you have to walk to the met if you take any subway yes because nothing is close to it so that's just like you know why not well 10 blocks and who knows how many avenues that we cut back to rock and lily or really lily at first corseting charlotte into her outfit while rock looks on in horror oh i i wrote down the quote chelsea I won't be party to upholding the patriarchy and the heteronormative standards of beauty. Did Shay Diaz write that? <laughs> Says someone that does indeed uphold the heteronormative standards of beauty. This was not what I expected Charlotte to wear. On one hand, I like the fact that it's so extreme and over the top, and I appreciate the equestrian reference because that is, of course, a part of Charlotte's history and who she is. But there's also a huge fetish influence that kind of comes out of left field. It's like sort of like the intersection of fetish fashion and historical cosplay. Yeah. Because she has a full bustle, like very kinky. Well, also, there's something very subby about Harry and his tight pants and the top hat and... <laughs> It's giving cringe guy at the kink club. <laughs> I love that Rock is like horrified by this corset, but not the fact that like their mom is carrying like a literal whip and wearing like dominatrix boots and like probably about to crush their dad's balls later that night. That's what happens on the show Billions. Don't worry about it. I mean, I feel like Harry would be me or I would be Harry in this situation, which no stairs. No, Rihanna, I'm out. <laughs> Which, again, you cannot not drop out with minutes to go. So because of that, Anthony is back in. Seema is also going, okay, is Seema a celebrity or did she call the paps on herself? Oh, I think that she just had a photographer in her glam squad. No, there was a full scene like it was episode three of The Idol where a group of paparazzi descended on Seema. I choose to believe that Seema hired those paparazzi. Oh my God, should we do that? Yeah, we can, Because there's a whole... <laughs> because for those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, you can hire a group of fake paparazzi and fans to follow you. I heard that Kelsey Grammer actually recently did this in Beverly Hills. All right, well, don't spoil what I'm going to get you and Tad for your birthdays. <laughs> Tad would love that. <laughs> Honestly, that is what I should. I was joking at first, but I really should do this. All right, back to no chill vibes at Carrie's apartment. 
Smoke fully freaks the fuck out and concedes that this dress isn't going to work. She's like, surely you have something. And you know what? She's right. Not only does Carrie have her Vivian Westwood wedding dress, she also has that like Versace gown. All right. Where? Where? Okay, I know. It's like we've already established that it's in a storage unit. And we've seen the storage unit in the first season of Anne just like that. Whatever, it's fine. I'll concede that she pulled it out and it's in the closet. But that is taking up three-fourths of a rack. That's something that, like, has to be crated. And you know how we know this? Because it was fucking crated into her apartment in the first film when it got delivered to her. (laughs) I bet that crate is the size of the end. Just like that box we got the first year that they sent to us that I literally fit into and is sitting gathering dust in a garage. Okay, also, when Carrie pulled out the box with the bird hat in it, all I could think about is Brad Pitt in Seven being like, what's in the box? What's in the box? (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess we're doing that video edit. (laughs) I was so confused when a string instrumental version of... Susie and the Banshees Hong Kong Garden started to play. Okay, but I liked it. I liked it. I was confused too. And then I remembered, oh, this is a Vivian Westwood thing. Because Susie was like an early adopter of her clothes from the punk day. So even though it's not an artist that I would say I closely associate with Vivian Westwood, I understand like the thought process as to why they chose this song. Yeah, I see what you're saying. That does make sense. I guess I more went to like, I don't think Carrie Bradshaw listened to Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> you always say this. I feel like you should give Carrie a little bit more credit. She is a eccentric, artistic person. We know that on one hand, she is very conservative in a lot of ways, but I do think that she would listen to Susie Sue and the Banshees. Apologies to Carrie Bradshaw. But to be fair, I'm like, has Susie Sue worn Vivian Westwood since whatever that famous photo of her with the boob shirt? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, of course. Anyway, I really liked this. I thought it set a good tone. I think the second outing of Carrie's Vivian Westwood gown was more major than the first. And this is why. The bus was altered, so it hugged her body a bit more. The veil feels more high fashion than the veil from the first movie. And the gloves and the opera cape tie everything together and provide context for the bird. The bird finally makes sense. And we get our, and just like that, I repurpose my pain. I thought this was good. I thought it was great too. Yeah, I think this is one of the best and just like that's. For one thing, it didn't scare us, like when she told us that Big died. Did it scare us or did it make us burst into laughter? I think I cried and then laughed in that order. And it just felt like a triumphant and just like that. It was incredible seeing her descend the stairs of her brownstone in this outfit. All I could imagine, because we certainly didn't get to see them at the Met Ball, was everyone complimenting Carrie's dress and her having to explain. Because you know people will be like, oh my god, that dress is amazing. Where did you get it? And she's going to have to be like, funny story. So my dead husband, the first time we tried to get married, left me at the altar. Maybe because we were originally supposed to elope, but then I did... A Vogue editorial. Did you know I used to write for Vogue? Anyway, (laughs) I was gifted a Vivian Westwood dress 
from Vivian Westwood herself, herself. R.I.P. Queen. And so <laughs> I kind of made my husband have a full-ass wedding ceremony he didn't want. And then, oh, you see Charlotte over there? Her daughter hid my cell phone <laughs> in her purse. Stop. I so, I, so I couldn't hear John calling me. Sorry, I keep saying big. Um, I used to write a column. I actually, the column has been in a several best-selling books. I used to call him big. His name's John James Preston. He was calling me repeatedly, and I couldn't hear it because, you know, again, Charlotte's daughter put my phone in her purse, and I got jilted. And so- speaking of Charlotte's daughter, <laughs> my husband also died during her piano recital many years later. Oh, why is it my husband with me? Because he died. I'm actually about to release a book. <laughs> Stop. I'm, like, actually crying. <laughs> So maybe it was best we didn't see what happened at the Met Ball. (laughs) Well, that about does it for episode one. Shall we get into episode two? Let's do it. But before we do, a word from our sponsors. This is for all our listeners with a vagina. Like you, Chelsea. (laughs) Do you ever feel, well, not quite right down there? (laughs) Chelsea? No, I always feel great down there. You're not tormented by vaginal dryness? No. (laughs) Because finally, there's a solution. It's called Rejuvavag. Have you heard of it, Chell? No. It's brought to you by the makers of Oxycontin Ozempic. (laughs) These hormone-free, vegan, easy-to-use vaginal suppositories will take your vajayjay from dry to wet-ass pussy in a New York minute. (laughs) Take it from me, Carrie B., don't you want your puss to be macaroni in a pot? Use promo code badge <laughs> in the city to get 10% off your first order. Okay, I'm actually going to like throw up from laughter. I can't wait for our podcast producer who does give us our ads to be like, hey, I'm looking for a timestamp for Rejuvenage. <laughs> Guys, it's not real. <laughs> um, I, for one, was delighted to see Carrie debase herself doing SpawnCon. Except I don't actually think it's that embarrassing. Especially if she can reword the copy and put it in her own voice, as you just did so beautifully. <sighs> well, first of all, I was jealous at the fact that Carrie doesn't even have to write her own podcast copy. Do you know the jealousy I feel, Chelsea? Listening to you must remember this. And just a different voice, not even Karina Longworth, doing fucking <laughs> pre-roll ads for the podcast? How do I get on that tip, okay? Babe, if you want me to take the lead on the spawn con, I will. You don't want to write copy for fastgoingcheese.com. It's too late. I already did. (laughs) I mean, Vag in the City is a great promo code. I would die for a promo code that good. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. They're not going to allow you to have a promo code as funny or witty as Vag in the City. (laughs) Vag in the City is a revelation. That, like, really hit. If you have a sex and relationship podcast, any kind of spawn you do is basically in the sexual wellness realm. Right. Like, to me, this isn't even that 
embarrassing. As a woman in her 50s, surely there's other women that are older that may be going through menopause that like might actually need this product. Well, according to Carrie, she's like, look, I'm a team player. I even held up that vegan purse on Instagram. And I love for Carrie, that's like the lowest thing she could have done to debase herself (laughs) on social media. And it wasn't even Stella McCartney. You know who I related to the most in this episode is not just the podcast producer or the czar of the podcast (laughs) network. What is her job besides being the villain of and just like that? I don't even relate to her. I relate to her talking about the car podcast guy. (laughs) I actually loved that. Who did do the vaginal wellness ad. And he's not even married, but talked about a wife. Not that I'm saying that I've ever made up any copy in relation to our podcast as. I'm just saying I related to that guy. Well, you know what, Lauren? My wife, Tatiana Waterford, suffers from vaginal dryness. <laughs> you don't even listen to our ads. You should, say, you should hear all the heinous shit I say about you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't. I listen to some of the ads. I feel like we related to this episode... For both sides of things, because I do do our ads and you don't. And we have a division of labor. I have taken on doing the ads. I understand what it's like to write the copy, but I imagine you related to not wanting to do podcast ads and Carrie's reluctance to do such a thing. Oh, I related so much to Carrie in these first two episodes between the thing about dreaming of poaching an egg and this. I was like, oh, this is actually my life. You're like, is she me? (laughs) All right. Well, after Carrie suffered that indignity, we go to Seema, who I would love to know what side you're on between this strife between her and her hairstylist, who tells her when she's gabbing about her life, no wonder you're still alone. I think this man is completely evil. It's like the most toxic gay male hairdresser that has ever been committed to film. And I feel like they're compensating for the fact that Anthony is no longer written like a total fucking asshole. That's true. Although we do get a great Seema line, I pay you to blow me, not shrink me. I will say this second episode, which is titled The Real Deal, has some of the best writing. Yeah. This was the closest to a Sex in the City episode we've gotten. Okay, also, who wrote this? Susan Fails Hill, who also wrote the first episode and has... Co-wrote, right? With Michael Patrick King. Yes, I'm sorry. Co-wrote with Daddy MPK. What's her background? Very major. Wrote on A Different World, Suddenly Susan... 20s, which was that Lena Waithe produced version of Sex Sex in in the the City. City. Right. And I think she might be responsible for the great dialogue of the last two episodes, the first one in this. Perhaps. May I be so bold to say? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I think Daddy MPK might be responsible for the scene where Miranda eats out Che and Che takes a call. (laughs) Yeah, that was a vibe. I have no commentary. So basically what happens is... Miranda is going down on Che. Again, the switchiest couple. (laughs) And Che gets a call from, I forget, like the TV writer. BD. BD. And they say that the network hates the new pages and that Che has to come in immediately. Which makes you think that Che did co-write this pilot. Right. And then Miranda's like, oh, I guess I'll have to find someone else to like practice giving head to. It's like, 
you're already giving head. <laughs> you're already there. And you acknowledge you're doing some of your best work. Or is like Miranda just going down on Che for like six hour stretches, like trying to work out the figure eight technique <laughs> and whatnot. Well, Che is more annoyed that the studio doesn't like their realism notes about being a non-binary person but the studio can believe that Tony Danza is their Mexican father. And I'm like, it's a fucking multi-cam network show. Yeah, I can believe this is an issue, Jay. (laughs) Yeah, sure, Tony Danza is their Mexican dad. Back in Manhattan at LTW's house, her husband says that their daughter's hair needs to be braided before his mother comes over. Eunice, who is fierce, <laughs> who, who made an appearance in season one. You know what? This is a this is the singular side character of a side character I will allow. It's so true because she always brings the looks. And also, she's she has deep bunny McDougal energy. It's so true. We yeah. need a very chic and shrewd mother-in-law to bully these high-powered women. That's a level of dominance I want on the Upper East Side. She looked great as always. She immediately dissed LTW's outfit to her face by saying, you return from your matinee performance of The Lion King? It's a solid burn. It is, but to be fair, the costumes in The Lion King are incredible. So you think LTW should have just been like, thank you. Thanks, babe. Lily wants an electric keyboard. I did get a little giggle when Rock doesn't want Lily to have the keyboard and Lily reminds them, hey, I supported you last year. And Rock's like, oh, fuck. Now I have to agree with everything you say. It's like, correct. Yes. I just like, I want no kids. I want them all to go to boarding school. Charlotte's kids, LTW's kids. I just want Charlotte to have a plot line that's not about being a mom. That's all I want. This show would make sense if I told you Steve Levitin, the show creator of Modern Family, took over. And then Harry is like ejaculating in the Valentino store. (laughs) That's not the creator of The Idol. That's Sam Levinson. (laughs) Steve Levitin created Modern Family. Oh, right. Sorry, I'm mixing them up. Different shows. Again, I am scared that this is going to increasingly become a rated R version of Modern Family. <laughs> I think it already is one. I don't care about this storyline. With Naya, can we just skip it then? We can't because Lily, in order to get this electric keyboard, sells some clothing on the real deal, which I was like, okay, like the Met Ball, they can't use the real real. However, they later established the real real exists in this universe fucking too. I know, I know. Details like this don't make it feel real. Ironically. Like, it's not the real deal. It's not the real deal. Now we're back with Naya and her husband. In my notes, I have husband. They talk about what happened in the previous episode and Andre correctly was like, your reaction was insane and not proportional and Naya was like well I'll admit I I drank too much but you were with a girl and Andre says well nothing happened dot 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 yet I'm no longer on his side yeah you lost us there and then assumes that the solution to their problem is a surrogate which feels like the modern update to Trey giving Charlotte a cardboard cutout of a baby totally But again, I don't really think we need this because like you previously mentioned, we both already thought that they broke up. Don't need this. Could have happened behind the scenes. Totally fine with it. 
Now we're back on the West Coast, and <laughs> I forgot Miranda was briefly an alcoholic in the first season and is now sober. And I was reminded that she is now sober because she goes to an AA meeting at the Horticultural Art Gallery? <laughs> Wait, where is this? This is like the bougiest AA meeting. It's not in some tragic community center. It's like some <laughs> woodsy, hipster, modernist, like multi-use space that has what looks like a hydroponic garden. <laughs> In some sort of glass case. This actually looks like my nightmare. It's vaguely mosaic adjacent. Yes, the hipster Christian church that we're terrified of called Mosaic. And by the way, we're terrified of it because we believe that it is a millennial cult. And that if we go, we will be uh, part of that cult. But excellent social media assets. If I go to Mosaic once, I'm going to be one of those pastors wearing a leather jacket. Guys. I know we've talked about this before. They haven't done it since before the pandemic, but Mosaic is is close to where I live. And I was driving down the street once and I saw a giant like hot tub, like a wood hot tub. They're like dunk tanks. And then I realized they were doing baptisms on the corner of La Brea and Hollywood Boulevard. If we go once, that is us. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's so true. Anyway, Miranda's making first. Yet another side character is introduced. I forget her name. Oh, God. Oh, don't even. I can't. I forget her name, but her husband calls her an activist. If someone said that to me, I'd tase them. (laughs) And I'm not going to the second location, a.k.a. the beach. Miranda is invited to do a beach clean. Also, she's like, oh, my God, like these virgin arms. I've never seen them. It's like, do you never leave the east side? (laughs) Miranda is invited to clean the beach because Miranda's evidently searching for meaning in Los Angeles. And it's like, you're getting your graduate degree. That was you trying to find a higher meaning. Yeah, now you're finding your meaning by like finally having good sex and just like being that bitch. Then we have Seema and Carrie at the bar, which is a welcome location for me. Two single women talking about sex. (laughs) and their toxic gay best friends give me more of this totally so Seema says that her hairstylist says she makes up red flags and Carrie's like yeah same bitch like I do that too when I was single I almost rented a house in the Hamptons six times but always found a reason not to you did rent a house (laughs) we saw that episode Charlotte got crabs and you wore a cowboy hat and a bandeau top when you met Natasha for the first time also Charlotte's the one that got the fucking house what do you mean you almost rented a house six times when you were single we have followed you for six seasons and two movies we never fucking saw this again it is as if another showrunner was tasked with writing this season wasn't it established in the first episode of and just like that that carrie in fact owns a house in the hamptons because that's where her and john james preston were going on the fateful night that he died If you want to do this thing where Carrie is very picky and how we display that is her explaining how picky she is about houses in the Hamptons, say when John and I were married, it took us years to buy a house in the Hamptons. Or I walked out of six houses before we finally bought a place in the Hamptons. Yes, I am also fascinated with another detail of this, which is that Carrie apparently like couldn't bring herself to rent in the Hamptons because of the presence of Bethany Frankel, which is apparently someone that she 
she has known since the 90s? Well, that's Seema's joke, which is why, because of Bethany Frankel. And I thought of you, and I wonder if this is the reference, because your beloved Sonny Hostin Mm -hmm. told a story on The View many years ago that when she was renting a house in the Hamptons, that Bethany Frankel came out and screamed at her because Sonny's son was playing too loudly on the beach. Oh, right. I remember that. Justice for Sonny. So I feel like Susan Fails Hill is a Sonny Houston fan and watches The View. So I choose to accept that's what the <laughs> Bethany Frankel reference is to, or else it's too fucking random. See, I thought I didn't understand it as someone that hasn't watched... Real Housewives of New York. Like, obviously, I'm familiar with Bethany Frankel and what she represents, but I was like, maybe this is too niche for me. But you're right. I think it's that Sonny Hostin story. In these first two episodes, I will say, I feel like there are subtle callbacks to the original series. Like, when Carrie is talking to Seema in this scene, and she's like, oh, you and your hairdresser are the same as me and not wanting to do this vaginal wellness ad. And she's like, they're not the same thing at all. Which reminded me of the season three episode when Samantha is dating the black guy and the sister doesn't like her and Carrie goes, oh, that's like me and not and not quitting cigarettes for Aiden. And she's like, not the same thing at all. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I can see that. And now we are with my favorite trio would happily take a spinoff of Charlotte, Anthony, and LTW having brunch. Charlotte is very preoccupied with the fact that the real deal has fleeced her. She really wants this Chanel dress back that Lily wore that, as LTW points out, was from Lagerfeld's last Chanel collection. Yes, this is where we are made aware that the real real exists in this universe because she corrects them and says, no, it's the real deal. They come to you and they pay you in cash like a drug deal, which Anthony has the great line, how many drug deals have you been around? (laughs) Yeah, that was really good. Again, though... And I love Kristen Davis and I love Charlotte. This criticism stems from me wanting more for her, but the stakes could not feel lower (laughs) because it's will she or will she not get back Lily's Chanel dress that she probably doesn't even fit into anymore. To me, the more interesting kernel of a backstory is when Anthony reveals that Charlotte gave him like a whatever pinky ring for his 40th and he hawked it to get what he really wanted. (laughs) It's like, I'd love to dive into this. Totally. Have you ever returned a gift? No. Right? Movies and TV make it seem like this is really easy to just get a gift from someone and be able to bring it back and get what you want. There's a whole gift receipt situation. I think that works at Bloomingdale's, but like nowhere else. I also want to note, I love how Charlotte is wearing a cherry print blouse because that connects her to her past, right? She had the cherry white trash charms necklace. She wore the cherry like bikini top at the Playboy Mansion. I think it's cute. Virginal cherries. Love to see it. I love how Anthony has two main objectives, supporting the women with bitchy commentary and getting hot enough guys for hot fellas. Meanwhile, uptown, we have a scene that is here to remind us that racism does, in fact, transcend class. Yes, however, it's LTW's husband, so that's a side character of a side character. Their child and her friend. I know, I'm like, who the fuck is Claire? This never happens to Claire's daddy. Okay, by the way, we did not need the line, this never happens when we're with Claire's daddy, for the audience to understand that this man is being discriminated against. I'm going to say something that 
potentially might get me canceled in these times, but they live in a doorman building and aren't many of the doormen in these buildings POCs who are flagging down cabs daily for the residents who live in these buildings. Right, like wearing nice suits and stuff. Yeah. Well, I don't know. As someone that is neither black nor a resident of the Upper East Side, I cannot answer that question for you. But what we do know is... This has never happened to Claire's daddy. (laughs) There's something very after school special about this. Oh, God, yeah. And also, it is tonally so bizarre because you're right. It does have this beat of an after school special from the 90s. But the only reason this is seemingly in the episode is for a comedic beat that his mother sees him do this pound on a cab with her church group. And then she turns them around. And he wasn't even that mad is the thing. No. Like, that's just like you going about your life. That is like low-key road rage me. That's not even high-key road rage me. Also, can we talk about the fact that, like, Nana and her crew, why are they all wearing either, like, hot pink or chartreuse? Like, what are they, like, in our branding? (laughs) Again, I feel like we should just go to the end of this plot line, which is... Eunice comes in at the end of the evening and berates her son and says, you know, what were you doing looking like some deranged squeegee man? Your grandfather faced the brickbats of Selma without batting an eyelash. And he's like, okay. And then LTW's like, yeah, don't do that. Mostly because if you, if you get hauled down to jail, your mother will blame me for it. That was a funny end beat to that. It feels like it needs to be said This storyline feels like it comes from a very upper-middle-class, rich, white, 2020 liberal brain perspective of, like, I should be mentioning these things. Like, I should say these key words like Selma and Emancipation Proclamation. And I'm saying this as a white, cishet woman. Don't know if people speak like that. I agree with that. And that reminds me, there's actually a very good review in Variety of the second season of Anne Just Like That. And the writer made the point that it feels like many of the new characters represent ideas more than they represent actual human beings. And I feel like that is so true in this scene. What they are trying to do is noble, but then it gets swallowed up in a comedic premise. They almost instantaneously put cold water on any social commentary they're trying to say by making it a joke. The joke being, your mother-in-law is going to blame me. I guess. And also, there's no there there. I assume this is the last of a casual racism storyline on the Upper East Side. Yeah, I can't imagine a world in which this continues. And it feels like this is here just to remind us that wealthy black people face racism as well, which we do know. Which, again, is a worthwhile storyline, but then don't immediately just kind of back out of that. Yeah. Anyway, can we move on to Franklin and Carrie in bed? Because I have a lot of thoughts about him downloading Final Draft to write podcast copy. (laughs) This is all Michael Patrick (laughs) King. And to those who ask or assume perhaps that we are consultants on and just like that, you know we're not consultants on and just like that because I would have said, you don't have to have screenwriting software to write ads. I do them in Google Docs. (laughs) When he said it'll take you from dry to wet ass pussy, I, I died. Also, if this is such an issue... 
isn't Carrie rich enough to underwrite her own podcast? Absolutely. It does not cost that much to have a podcast if your labor is free. I feel like she needs to go to that podcast producer, the owner of the podcast network, and be like, how much is it? 10 grand? 20 grand? I'll give myself three seasons of ads. Yeah. Franklin also invokes the word vajayjay, which (laughs) one thing that has not been shown in... And just like that, that I think is in the parlance of dating these days is the ick. And if a partner said to me, Vajayjay, it would give me the ick and I would have to break up with them instantly, I think. (laughs) See, you're just like Seema. I am. (laughs) And I would leave my hairdresser too if he said I made up red flags. Kiri also gets mad at him for using the phrase Vajayjay, saying she doesn't want her show to be some rerun from the 90s. And I don't know if I'm aging myself, but... I feel like I heard the word vajayjay from the show The Soup, which would at nauseum play the clip of Oprah in some sort of harness saying, my vajayjay's painted. <laughs> Do you not remember this clip, Chelsea? No. <laughs> oh, you mean as a habitual Oprah show watcher, you've never seen this clip where her and Gail are on vacation and she says... I definitely watched that episode, but what is she saying? What was that? My vajayjay is painted. Fuck, I love Oprah. (laughs) Honestly, if a vaginal wellness brand asked us to specifically use the phrase vajayjay, we'd be like, we'd be honored. (laughs) Totally. Do you know what I would do for a vaginal wellness product? A little behind the scenes thing. We potentially were going to do some sort of like millennial direct-to-consumer plan B pill. And we were like, we're in. We've never been more in for something. And then they ghosted us. (laughs) I know. I would love to do Spawn for plan B. What a dream. All right. And now we're back into an episode of Modern Family where Lily performs for her family and Anthony. (laughs) Poor Anthony. This goes beyond his like gunkle duties. Serious question. Are Harry and Charlotte underwriting Anthony's life post-Stanford leaving him? Oh, right. Well, he must have a job. No, he has a job. But she got half felt. Yeah, he's got it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is sourdough selling as well as it did in 2021? This is the whole thing for Carrie's plot line about the podcast is the podcast network head is like, this isn't the 2021 heyday of podcast ads. It's drying up, which... Would have been a good time to be like, it's drying up like women of a certain age's vaginas. See, just wrote your podcast copy for you. (laughs) These are the moments where I'm like, are they in on the joke or are they not? Because Lily's song, which includes lyrics, Park Avenue Streets, Where Do They Lead? The Power of Privilege. To be fair, this does sound vaguely Taylor Swiftian. Especially the Gilded Cage lyric in the Park Avenue streets. Is this a good time to mention that the actress that plays Lily is 27? That's like a full orphan situation. She's playing someone 10 years younger than herself. Yeah, Anthony makes the comparison to Billie Eilish, but I do think this is more Taylor Swift, Olivia Rodrigo, that kind of vibe. Perhaps like the real real in the Met Gala, they couldn't use the phrase Taylor Swift. So back in LA, back on the Sunset Strip. It's so clear they shot so much 
in Los Angeles, and we did not experience or see any of it. See any paparazzi photos from it is the craziest thing, because I just assumed they filmed everything, sound stages, private residences, whatever. But this particular location in Los Angeles, it's like thousands of people would have driven by this. So rude that you fuckheads did not call in about this. I know. It's really sad that we weren't extras also. We would have been in the audience for Che Diaz's comedy concert rehearsal at the comedy store. We thankfully don't get any more of Che Diaz's comedy. Instead, Che is introducing their father, Tony Danza, with immaculate looking hair. Yes. Sitting in a booth. He's looking good, I have to say. Miranda's awkward in the background. She goes out. She calls Carrie. Carrie, who is still writing ad copy at midnight and literally tells (laughs) her fuck buddy slash producer, I would take a robocall rather than continue doing this with you. Okay, I'm curious. How long does it take you to write the ads? I don't know, 10, 12 minutes? (laughs) Yet for Carrie, this sustains an entire episode. She wrote a whole novel during one montage that went four seasons (laughs) and yet cannot write this podcast ad. Carrie does hit up Miranda for some copy advice where she asks her, you know, what would you say if I said to you that things were not right down there? To which Miranda has the great line, very un-Miranda-esque, very Samantha, I would say, which is... I don't know. I've got nothing but good news down there. I don't know why I want to say that like Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) I don't know. I've got nothing but good news down there. All right, all right. (laughs) My vajayjay is just... Papa JJ's just all right, all right, all right. Yeah, Miranda's like, yeah, my vag is good. My pussy is getting pounded by Che Diaz's strap. Cynthia's doing most of the work. Miranda's <laughs> doing most of the work. Most of the pounding, most of the eating out. Yeah, we're learning that Che is more of a bottom. Che's like a, what, a two, a three? I mean, Che is on a diet, so... You know, props to Tony Danza, who comes out and calls Miranda Che's significant person. I know. I was like, oh, my God, is Tony Danza a social justice warrior within the world of this show? Because only that genre of person takes a non-gendered term like significant other and makes it into significant person. It's like taking folks and putting an X on it. (laughs) It's, It's exactly that. Tony Danza definitely uses folks with an X. No wonder Elton John wrote that love song for him. (laughs) Carrie does have the line to Franklin, right? My vagina has to write its own monologue. That was pretty funny. It was a joke that is of another time. But I'm here for it. You know why? Because it evoked the original Sex in the City. It evoked a very late 90s, early 2000s style of pop culture reference and dialogue. And I was here for it. Yeah. Do we need to get you a baby bell? Guys, we've been recording for so long. I know. I'm like severely dehydrated, sleep deprived. You have three beverages in front of you. You have a Diet Coke, a Berry LaCroix, and some natty wine that we opened. And the sad thing is that I had another can of Diet Coke before this that I've already thrown away. (laughs) Where are we? All right. We've got Seema's mea culpa with her hairdresser. Okay, wait. I need another glass of wine. Hold on. Go get yourself a baby bell. Guys, I need to paint the picture for you. Chelsea is wearing silver lame pants, an oversized blue Oxford shirt and tabbies, and is currently going through my fridge searching for a baby bell. (laughs) Bitch, you don't have any baby bells. Now that there's like a man in this house, 
the cheese has dried up. This episode is brought to you by Baby Bell. <laughs> Do you know they have plant-based Baby Bells, Chelsea? I did. I tried them. And I'm not going to report back about their quality because of our pending <laughs> deal with Baby Bell that I'm trying to manifest right now. All right. Seema does a mea culpa with her hairstylist. Again, a supporting character who's been in two episodes for another supporting character. I'm scared he's going to be in more episodes. I'm scared he's going to get his own supporting character. I know, like his assistant or something. We should note that in this scene, he tells one client that her bangs are ugly, another one that she needs lipo. Like this is clearly like a terrible person that has no place in the hyper PC world of and just like that. But we're glad that he's there. Honestly, another side character of a side character we could give more storylines to. So back in LA, Miranda is saving the planet and Naya calls her. Mid-breakdown. She's cleaning out Andre Rashad's studio. It's a bad vibe. I always find this post-breakup behavior so interesting, where Naya is mocking all of the stuff that Andre has in the room, which you assume when they were together and in love, she loved these things, but now she's mocking it. I've never understood this behavior, like when women break up with guys and then they're like, he had the smallest dick. And it's like, Okay, so then you were with someone for three years that couldn't satisfy you? Like, what are we saying with this? True, but I did like how she mentioned his beanies and that she was going to have a bonfire out of beanies. Bonfire out of the beanies. Great dialogue in this episode, I will say. Back at the beach, Miranda's... Who is her friend? What's her name again? Who's the new character? I won't learn this person's name. I All I know her by is how she says that her husband calls her an activist. <laughs> the activist is back. And has to leave. We also didn't establish that the activist was like, I'll pick you up and bring you to the beach cleanup. And abandons Miranda on the beach because there was a microaggression over a smushmallow. A squishmallow. Oh, squishmallow. You're right. Which I actually had to Google that to figure out what it was. And I know what it is now that I've seen it. It's like one of those things that like Tumblr girls that are into age play are into. (laughs) This is one of those moments where you're like, are they in on the joke? Because that's a solid line. That's what I thought too. I think they are in on the joke in certain respects. Like I don't think comedy concert was a deliberate joke, for example, but this very much so. And then they have... This banger character who's the Debbie Downer of the beach. (laughs) Yeah, this might be the MVP. (laughs) This is a great character who's just like, (laughs) this is, who says that the the planet is dying. What is the point of being at this beach cleanup? Which would be my vibe at a beach cleanup. (laughs) This might be Miranda's best moment when she counters him saying that the earth is dead, you're cleaning up a corpse with, you're a delight, let's talk more. (laughs) So Miranda has lost her phone, which wouldn't you just call it? I know that we all set our phones to vibrate, but that would at least give you a sense of where the phone is. Side theory. Did Miranda want to lose her phone? Did Miranda, in a scene we didn't see, throw that phone in the ocean? Inquiring minds want to know. (laughs) I don't know about that, but she looks for the phone in like a pile of kelp or whatever. Yeah, this beach cleanup seems to be just cleaning out seaweed from the beach. The seaweed's fine. Isn't it like the cans and the bottles and the like 
you know, empty vape pens that are the problem. And cell phones, evidently. This is a modern nightmare to be all the way out in Malibu without a phone. Have you ever been in this situation? No. Oh, I have. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Sorry to be a bitch. (laughs) Fuck right off. I did have to call my ex-girlfriend at like three in the morning once because I was like somewhere in Atlanta and like had no idea where my friend's house was. All right, this gets into another thing, which is... Miranda is shamed for not knowing Che's phone number. The only phone numbers I have memorized are my parents' home number and my parents' cell phones. I don't know your number. I don't know your number. I don't know Paul's number. I do know Tat's number, but... Because you've each lost your cell phones? I do know that because I am getting ready for the big one, and I feel like I should know a number that's not my parents' number or my ex-girlfriend's number. Fair enough. Should we vow, listeners, fuckettes, we're vowing to memorize each other's numbers. Yes, you guys have homework. It's called Memorize Your Best Friend's Number and Your Significant Other's Number. Oh my God, are we best friends? <laughs> no, I fucking hate you. No, <laughs> this seems like a bizarre plot line that Carrie gives Miranda so much shit. It's like, yeah, the people that I knew who had cell phones before 2003's numbers I have memorized. And those are my parents. I don't think it's that crazy. So Charlotte and Carrie are at the real deal. This is the extraordinary outfit of Carrie in the jumpsuit with the J.W. Anderson pigeon clutch. It is really perfect. Between the Vivian Westwood look from the previous episode and this outfit, Carrie is reminding us she is still that bitch. Like if you saw someone dressed like this, you'd be like, wow. And it feels like a natural evolution of her style, but it's also not a look that we've seen before. Which, I have to ask, how is our pigeon clutch doing? It's good. The wing's still on. Great. Carrie is seduced by the Sonia Raichel shearling boots, which I can see that for her. I can. I guess those are the new patent leather Mary Jane Manolo Blahniks. Her shoe white whale. We didn't even know about. So Charlotte is... Like having a Karen moment, which I actually kind of understand slightly. Maybe this is a reference to Grailed, but she does bring up the point that the child is a minor. Like you can't take clothing from her. I do think that's a valid point. I don't think it's wise to unload your shit on some random retail employee. But to be fair, this chick seems like she is just huffed glue or something. Carrie is very cool in this episode. And I don't mean like a cool customer. I quite literally mean like, to your point, just in her outfits, her lines, her demeanor. Like when she pulls Charlotte aside and goes, she has a phone. You are this close from being a meme. I was like... That's a cool person. That's a line of dialogue I would write. I mean, I would have called Charlotte a Karen, but whatever. Back to Miranda. I will never understand the needle drop of Hotel California. No. Miranda is able to call Che because she has commandeered a phone from some stoner surfers. Love them, by the way. Great fun. Again, more side characters I'd happily, if we want to give some storylines to. Yeah, bring them back. I'm into them. Miranda's not just in Malibu. She is next to the restaurant Neptune's Net. I cannot explain to you how far Neptune's Net is. Chelsea, it is so far, it is beyond Malibu. Should we go? Like, is it fab? Oh, I've been to it. It's great. It's just on the Malibu-Ventura border. So there's no way she could get to, like, West Hollywood for dinner with Tony Danza during rush hour, is what you're saying. 
That was fucking real. That was another real moment when Che was like, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get to you. I was like, correct. <laughs> Neptune's Net is great. It is also a mainstay in a lot of LA films. It's featured in Point Break. It's featured in Fast and the Furious. It is. How many times are you going to bring up the Fast and the Furious franchise within this single episode? You know who loves family? Dolce & Gabbana, the Kardashians, the Fast and Furious films, and and just like that. <laughs> It's all about family. But it's true. No, it's a beach shack that is fabulous, steamed, and fried fish. We should go. Okay, great. I can't wait. I mean, it's going to take us forever to get there. (laughs) (laughs) So Che is stressed because they have dinner. And by they, I mean Che and Miranda with Tony Danza. But Che has a solution. Is it calling an Uber on behalf of your girlfriend? (laughs) No. Anything but that. Well, Uber and Liv seemingly does not exist in the universe of And Just Like That. <laughs> and then Just Like That, there is the Met Gala and the Met Ball and the Real Real and the Real Deal. But any consumer-based gig economy driving solution does not exist in And Just Like That. <laughs> so a person comes in a fabulous purple old pickup and picks up Miranda. And this is someone that I clocked from the trailer. And it is Oliver Hudson, who is Kate Hudson's brother and an actor in his own right, who Mm. I was like, oh, I think Che has a roommate. That's what I garnered from the trailer. But no, this person is Che's ex-husband. Technically, they're still married. His name is Lyle, which I will say, that is a great ex-husband name. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not mad at Lyle. He seems like a pretty decent guy. You know, he works at the Malibu Soho House, which have you ever been there? Well, one, we're not members of Soho House. Two, you have to be a resident of Malibu to even get into the Malibu Soho House, which is... Guys, it was a whole to-do when the Malibu Soho House opened, or so I heard, because Soho House members were pissed they couldn't get in because there was an added thing that you also had to own property in Malibu to even get in understandably so i would be pissed too it's next to nobu is anyone a member uh yeah we gotta go and uh experience this mixologist che diaz's current husband well this is legit though because sada ramirez recently got divorced from some rando finance guy yeah a lot of and just like that is marked by the actors own lives influencing their characters For better or for worse, remains to be seen. Another thing we didn't mention, and we can just wrap up Charlotte's storyline, and this is my issue, and I referenced it in the first episode. These first two episodes have storylines that they just, they take to the very end and drop as if they never happened, which is Charlotte being like, oh, actually, I just don't like that my daughter is changing. I need to get over that. Whatever. I don't care about the dress anymore. Which is insane because she's been bitching about it to literally everyone we know. Every scene that Charlotte has had in this episode has been her explaining this situation to someone. And also it's kind of a repetitive plot line for her because that was her season one arc as well, which was accepting Rock for who they are. I mean, I'm just happy that Carrie got those Sonia Raquel boots. That's really all I got from this storyline. Yeah. Do you feel with these first two episodes, the show doesn't really feel like it's sent around Carrie anymore. Yeah, I think that Che Diaz has as much screen time as Carrie. Definitely more than Charlotte, which is wild. Oh, God, yeah. 
the main driving storyline that we've seen in the first two episodes is Che and their pilot. Like, those are the biggest story elements that have teeth because we see Che having dinner with Tony Danza at Rayo's in Hollywood. And Tony Danza says that he would like to be Italian, that he shouldn't play their Mexican father because, as he says, I've come too far to get canceled now, which is a banger line and true. And again, I'm like, I think they're in on the joke. Oh, totally. That's an appropriate way of dealing with the current climate that we exist in, in a funny way. Yeah, for sure. You know what? I'm on the Dan's lion or whatever his stands are called. <laughs> side. Yeah, he shouldn't play their Mexican father. Che could pass for Italian. There's also an unspoken rule in Hollywood casting where a lot of Jewish actors play Italian and vice versa. And a lot of Italian actors have played Mexican, especially on Breaking Bad. Of course. I don't want Tony Danson to get canceled. Although it is wild watching scenes with Miranda acting against Tony Danza as himself. <laughs> so Seema and Zed, that is his name, her hot fuck buddy, are back together. Except that is short-lived because he wants her to invest in a private club. Not even on her own, but together. And she considers this a red flag. I do not understand this at all. Yeah, why bring him back just to cast him away again? Let's just not do this. Well, but also, it's only for Seema to have this high and mighty moment where she's like, oh, I was right. My hairdresser was wrong. You're trying to, like, get me in a Ponzi scheme or something? Kind of a weird vibe. If you came to me and were like, hey, I've got this great private club opportunity we just need to invest $100,000 each. I'd be like, sounds interesting. Let me see, you know, a prospectus or some sort of business plan. Yeah, true. It's weird that she like immediately accuses him of being a scammer. Which again, if you want Seema to not have a consistent fuck buddy because you want her to date, I'm down with that. But this is a bizarre way to go about it. And now I'm back on the side of like, are they in on the joke or are they not? I really don't know. Miranda gets back from Malibu, which I'm sure took her three hours. Yeah, she's in like a fringed waterfall cardigan that feels vaguely Southwestern. And actually, I kind of like that look for her, come to think of it. She needs more like turquoise jewelry. Very Aiden Shaw. Yeah. They really gloss over how fucked it is not to mention that they were married. Or at least like, hey, my ex-husband's coming to get you. Yeah, no, that is crazy for them not to mention that. But at the same time, when Shay comes out and is talking to Miranda, they kind of sell it to me. In what sense? Like, I'm kind of like, oh, it's chill. Like, whatever. Who cares? I guess. As they say, you know, we're both such slackers. We never got around to getting a divorce. You know, whatever. They're very nonchalant about it. Yeah, maybe Che would be a great con artist. When you're just married and you haven't divorced the person, it's fine. I don't feel like it's that crazy because it's not like they're engaged or anything. That's true. Is Miranda really thinking like this is going to be like my second marriage? Oh, God. Don't tempt Daddy MPK with that, Chelsea. Oh, God. Imagine what the wedding would look like. So Carrie shows up at work. She's very proud of herself. She's got some VJJ copy that she can 
She feels proud enough to actually speak into existence. Yeah, she put her whole pussy in that copy. Alas, because Carrie wouldn't do a singular <laughs> podcast ad. She has dismantled an entire podcast network. I know. You wouldn't talk about your vagina, and now we're all out of work, is what her boss tells her, that they sold the offices to Apple or Peach or whatever it's called. Why does Apple and Peach have to live in the same world? It's the real deal and the real real all over again. Wait, is Peach a real company? No, I don't think that there's a competitive fruit technology company. If anything, (laughs) Peach is like a direct-to-consumer gynecology exam that you do over Zoom company or something. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and they have like um, very like millennial like brick-and-mortar locations in the Studio City Westfield. You know why I said that, Chelsea? I was was going to therapy the other day and there was a billboard and I meant to photograph this called Almond OBGYN modern OBGYN care it's on Melrose guys this is not a stealth ad I'm genuinely (laughs) telling Chelsea I feel like my gynecologist is already kind of millennial because it's like one medical like when I went in the last time yourself when I went in to get a pap smear last time they literally gave me some hipster like micro suede like gown to wear I mean this is what the offices look like it's a gigantic concrete building oh wow you know just bleach wood everywhere what do you think is the thought process behind calling that company almond I don't know your future baby is the size of an almond I was gonna say something so gross (laughs) your your pussy hole looks like an almond I don't know Can the founders of Almond uh, get back to us and clarify? All right. Well, getting back to the episode, if someone said to me in the future, don't be so precious about your pussy, that would stay with me for the rest of my life. (laughs) Truly haunting. Carrie tries to hit up Franklin to sell the podcast to another network, I guess. You know what? This is really a lesson to stay independent as we are. Yeah. Guys, you don't need a network. You just need to like figure out how to record your podcast and edit it and like upload it or whatever. Or pay a lovely editor as we do to edit your insane thoughts into coherent prose. Yeah, good luck to our editor today. (laughs) Especially at this point, I feel like I'm delirious from watching and just like that in the middle of the night and drinking like 10,000 Diet Cokes and glasses of wine since we started this. Anyway, well, Franklin gives us the best lesson, which is it's hard to sell a podcast that's been canceled. Is that true, though? Because like, how exactly did Search Party come to be on HBO Max? Well, it's not a podcast. Okay, but you know what I mean. I mean, I could explain it to you. It's a TBS show, which is owned by Warner Media, which also owns HBO. Lauren, I did not ask <laughs> for that information. Anyway, Franklin breaks up with Carrie as her producer and her fuck buddy. Go off, Franklin. But that's okay, because Carrie thanks him for the sex in the city, which feels like a real old school Carrie line. Yeah, I loved that. And that wasn't even the end just like that. We got that banger line and then a voiceover that said, and just like that, I freed up my entire week. Pretty good one. Like, I don't think it's going to be among the most memorable and just like that's like it can't hold a candle to big diet, obviously. Or what I imagine is a coming in just like that and just like that. I was back with Aiden. 
Right. That's coming, Chelsea. <laughs> that has to be coming. That's like your Titanic sinking. Like you're at the top of the bow with Jack Dawson. You're like, I know that icy water is coming. I know that chambray and turquoise jewelry is coming for my ass. <laughs> Except I don't think he's wearing that shit anymore. No. But what episode? I don't know. It could be the next one now that this guy's out of the picture. Are we finally fusing what I've always wanted, which is just the real housewives of New York with Sex in the City. It seems like it's kind of happening. Free them of all their dick appointments so they can make new dick appointments. And just like that, Chelsea, we're finally done recapping these two episodes. Or are we? Yes. If this two hours, who knows how long this episode's going to be, <laughs> of us talking and recapping these episodes wasn't enough, dear listener, dear fuck it, we've got an after show for you. We do. Tomorrow we will be dropping the first episode of And Just After That, which is our official companion podcast to our normal podcast. And we will be discussing two utterly essential pieces of journalism, which is Rachel Symes' profile of Sarah Jessica Parker, which was in The New Yorker last week, and Brock Kolyar's profile of Sada Ramirez for New York Magazine. And also, we will be conducting our first and just like that exit survey, which is basically a set of uniform questions that we will answer to analyze each week's episode. I love how most post shows are hosted by stands that have nothing to do with the central television <laughs> show, which is kind of what we're doing. But we have a, an after show for our own show. <laughs> That's truly deranged and meta. It is deranged, but... If we didn't, this show would be like three hours long. You can find and just after that on Patreon and also on Apple Podcasts. As of tomorrow, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's now a subscriptions feature on Apple Podcasts. So you can subscribe to our additional episodes through the App Store. How convenient. And why are we putting this show behind a paywall? Because there you will hear our paywalled thoughts. Exactly. So check that out if you give a shit. If you don't, we will be back here next week. And thankfully, Chelsea, moving forward, we will only be discussing one episode a week. God bless. See you all next week. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.